your Bibles now, if you would, please, and open them to Matthew chapter 13. Once again, it is a blessed privilege for us to be able to be in God's house today and to look into the Word of God and and see that we're studying about Jesus' life, the sayings that he gave to people, and just how he was just a marvelous teacher. We're thankful that we can meet here today. We have no reprisals from anyone because not from our government or anyone else because we meet here in this place to discuss God's word. And then we're also thankful that we have the scriptures. Uh, You can have your own personal copy of God's word and if you don't have one we have all those copies in the back that we lend to people and we're happy for you if you don't have a Bible to take one of those and and to keep it but it is a great privilege that's that's one of the greatest blessings that we have I think in our country that we can read God's word we can study it and then also that God has given us his word and has enabled us to understand it if you're not saved People really can't understand the Word of God, but we're we're thankful that he has given us that ability through salvation in him to know his Word and to understand what it means. So if you are saved today, then you really do need to reflect upon that great privilege that you have, your salvation, and then having God's Word to tell you more about him. Now today as we look into scriptures, we're going to look at one of Jesus' parables that's centered on this theme It's centered on the preaching of the word of God, and it's a story about how people receive God's word when it's taught. This is the parable of the sower. It's one of Jesus' most familiar parables. So if you look at uh, Matthew chapter 13, and stand with me please as we read God's word. Matthew 13 beginning at verse number 1. It says, the same day went Jesus out of the house and sat by the seaside, and great multitudes were gathered together unto him, so that he went into a ship and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. And he spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow. And when he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside, and fowls came and devoured them up. Some fell upon stony places where they had not much earth, and forthwith they sprung up, because they had no deepness of earth. And when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But other fell into good ground and brought forth fruit, some an hundredfold, some sixty, sixtyfold, and some thirtyfold. Who hath ears to hear? Let him hear. Now, if you go down to verse number 18, we have the explanation. Jesus says, Hear ye therefore the parable of the sower. When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. This is he which received seed by the wayside. But he that received the seed in the stony places, the same as he that heareth the word, and anon with joy receiveth it, Yet hath he not root in himself, but dureth for a while. For when a tribulation or persecution ariseth because of the word, by and by he is offended. He also that receives seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word. And the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becometh unfruitful. But he that receives seed into the good ground is he that heareth the word and understandeth it, which also beareth fruit and bringeth forth some an hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. 
Father, thank you for your word today and help us as we look into this text to understand it and see what you have for us from your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And you may be seated. Today we're going to concern ourselves with the first nine verses of this chapter and the next week we'll come back and have a look at verses 18 through 23 and get more of a full explanation of what Jesus meant when he spoke this parable. But I think that what I should do first is to remind you of the meaning of the word parable and then secondly, the reason that Jesus taught in parables and then thirdly, the purpose for the giving of these particular parables in this 13th chapter of Matthew. And I'll be brief with that because that's what we studied last week and I don't want to preach all of last week's sermon again and uh, we'd be here a long time if I did that. But Uh, Just pay attention for just a moment because you're not going to find these on your outline. We'll get to the outline in just a minute. First of all is the meaning of a parable. What is a parable? Well, a parable is is a story from real life that's used to illustrate a truth. And in this parable, we have a farmer, there's soil, and there are seeds. And these are real things, as we know, and Jesus will use them to illustrate his point. Secondly, is the reason that Jesus taught in parables. Uh, We often speak of Jesus as being the master teacher. We speak of him uh, being very down to earth with his teachings so that he never really tried to overwhelm people with, with things that they couldn't understand. That's what we say. But this might surprise you somewhat that it's not quite right. Because even though Jesus was a master teacher... His parables were for the enlightenment for only some, and for others, his words became utterly confusing. For one group of people, he gave explanations that blessed them, and to those people, he gave more truth. But for others, these parables became darkness to them, and they really couldn't understand what he was saying, and the darkness grew denser. Truth was obscured and couldn't be found out. And it might surprise you also to know that that was by design. Because Jesus purposely hid truth to some while he revealed it to others. Now, lest you think that that's a statement that puts me way off in the deep end of theological thinking, all we have to do is read the verses in between that we studied last week that explain this. In the 10th verse it says, And the disciples came and said unto him, Why speakest thou unto them in parables? He answered and said unto them, Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. For whosoever hath, to him shall be given, and he shall have more abundance. But whosoever hath not, from him shall be taken away, even that he hath. Therefore speak I to them in parables, because they seeing see not, and hearing they hear not, neither do they understand." So the reason that Jesus began to hide truth in parables was because these people had consistently rejected him. They wouldn't believe the truth that he was the Messiah. So the disciples who had been chosen by by Jesus Christ and they were believers in him, Jesus taught them in parables so they could begin to understand more clearly what he wanted them to do. And that leads us into the purpose of the seven parables in this 13th chapter. All of them have to do with the kingdom of God. They're a revelation of the mystery of God's kingdom that wasn't previously known. And the parables are about the interim period between Christ's first advent and his second advent. 
the Old Testament wasn't quite clear about all that. It did promise that the Messiah would come, that there would be a kingdom that would be established on the earth. But it wasn't completely clear that when the Messiah come, came, he would at first be rejected and then he would be crucified. And it wasn't quite clear that the first advent of Christ would not be the time that he would establish his kingdom on the earth, but that would come at a later time. So when Jesus came the first time, he was rejected by people. The Bible says he came into his own and his own received him not. And when the king is rejected, you can't have a kingdom. And that's what the Jews did. They had plenty of proof that he was the Messiah, but they didn't want him. And the rejection became greater and greater. And we see it mounting all the way up till we get to chapter 12. And there Jesus switches, when we get to 13, the method of teaching people and goes to the parables because these people wouldn't believe. So after chapter 12, he stopped giving revelation of his blessed truth. He switched to the parables and concentrated mostly on teaching his disciples. And it was about what would happen to them and what would take place after he was crucified. It's the interim period before Jesus comes back the second time. Now, if I ask you, well, what happens during this time? What takes place between the time that Christ was first here and when he comes back again? Well, the answer to that question would be that it's the time for the church. It's the time for growth in the kingdom of God. It's the time when the gospel is preached. It's a time for you and me. Those of us who have been saved by the blood of Christ, we have received Christ as Savior. It's our time to be lights for Jesus Christ and to tell people about the glorious salvation that we find in Christ. And so we come to this first parable, and appropriately enough, it is about the beginning of the kingdom. Now, when Christ came the first time, he was already king of a kingdom. Only the kingdom is not visible. The kingdom was in the hearts of his people. And so he's a king that is ruling right now what you say would say is by in absentia. He's not here now. But he is going to return to the earth. And when he comes, he will begin a visible kingdom here. And it will be a kingdom of perfect peace where the will of God is done on earth as it is in heaven. And so we move on then into these text verses, and Jesus will give a real-life illustration of how the kingdom will begin its growth. And appropriately, when we think about growth, we think about plants. We begin with small seeds that grow to maturity, and then they produce bountiful fruit. So here's what we want to talk about today. We're going to concentrate today on the components of the parable, the components of it. In verse number three, uh, the scripture says, and he spake many things unto them in parables, saying, behold, a sower went forth to sow. Now, it's easy for us to imagine that as Jesus sat in this little boat, and this boat was pushed a small distance away from the shore, and there he is sitting on the Sea of Galilee. All the people are standing on the shore, And as he begins to speak to them, he noticed a man that was working in his field. Sometimes Jesus would talk about fishing. Sometimes he would talk about being a sheep herder. 
Those were common occupations. But also common, of course, was that of the farmers. Uh, Farmers planted their fields and they would plant wheat, uh, mostly wheat, in order to grow, uh, in order to make bread. And so as Jesus was teaching the people, he had in his mind that he wanted to illustrate the point. He wanted to speak of his kingdom and the way that it would grow. And so he spied this man that was off, probably spied this man who's off in a nearby field and the man is doing what the farmers would normally do that time of year that he was casting out seed he was sowing the seed in anticipation of a harvest so that's the first component of the parable it's the seed that's planted now all of the components of this parable are important but this one has to be first because without this you don't you can't have the rest of it you have to have seed in order for something to grow and in this case the seed represents the word of god Now, we don't have to dig very deeply to find that out. The 19th verse begins, when anyone heareth the word of the kingdom. Now, I don't expect that if you had never heard anything at all about the Bible, and if you didn't know anything about Christianity, you didn't know anything about Jesus, that you would understand that kingdom of heaven means the same thing as the word of God, or the word of the kingdom means the same as the word of God. But if you're a Christian and uh, you, you know Christ as your Savior, you're going to begin to understand these things. And what he's talking about here is the word of God that's sown in the hearts of people that they might uh, believe and do what he tells them to do. So if you're in Christianity, this becomes a very familiar phrase to us, that of sowing and reaping and so forth. We understand it all has to do with the word of God. But if we miss that, Jesus tells the same story in the in the uh, eighth chapter of the book of Luke and in verse 11 Luke records him saying now the parable is this the seed is the word of God so the seed is the living word of God and when Jesus spoke he was giving people God's word Whenever you read in the Bible, you're you're not reading the thoughts of men. You're not learning here the best ideas that somebody has about God. You're not reading Jesus and the disciples and other writers of Scripture that were only guessing and this is what they thought God would say. But when Jesus spoke and when the apostles wrote and other writers of Scripture wrote, they were writing down the inspired word of God. In 2 Peter we read, For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. And in 2 Timothy 3.16, it says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And so the Bible is the word of God, and it's the word of God that contains life. It's the seed that's planted that when it germinates, it springs up and it gives life to spiritually dead souls. Now again, reading from Peter, he compares the word of God to a seed. He says, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. So it's clear that we're born again by the word of God. That's the seed that has to be planted. And it's only by the word that we're saved. God doesn't use anything else. Nobody's going to be saved that never hears the word of God and obeys the word because the word is the means of producing faith in the hearer. And folks, this is why it is so critical that churches preach from the Bible. 
And that's why this is the primary focus of Berean Baptist Church. Our focus is not social activities. Our focus is not a music program. The focus is not charitable humanitarian efforts. All of those things are good, but those things don't save people. The only thing that saves people is the Word of God. They must believe the Word of God. And this is a great problem that we have because there's a spiritual famine in the world today. There is really a lack of gospel preaching. Churches have switched their purpose and they've gone off into other concerns. Pastors will get up to preach and they never ask anybody to open a Bible. They get up on Sunday morning and they don't have a scripture to reference. And if they do, they don't expect that anybody in the pew would actually be carrying a Bible with them because they don't think that they need it. The preacher rarely uses it, so why do you bring a Bible to church? One of our members told me some time ago that she was invited to go to one of the churches right here, uh, either Rona Park or Katati, I don't remember which, but she was invited to come to one of the churches very close to us, and she took her Bible to church, and one of the people in the church came up to her and asked her, why do you have that? You're not going to need it here. And that's far too often the case. Either the seed is not sown or the seed is corrupt. It's not the living word of God. And so you have preachers in pulpits that want to give you some idea of what man says and they don't really think the seed is necessary. But folks, the seed of the word of God is absolutely necessary to salvation and it is most necessary that it be the right seed. The message has to be right and there can't be any compromise on it. The Apostle Paul spoke clearly to that in Galatians chapter 1 when he said, But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. And the message of of those verses is that God is not going to save through a corrupted gospel. He doesn't save in the absence of the gospel. It has to be preached, it has to be believed, or the right fruit is never going to be produced. And I'm afraid that's what most churches do. They're not sowing the right seeds. Instead of sowing wheat, they're sowing dandelions. And dandelions will grow up. They grow up, but they're not going to make it into God's barn. Someone said... Each verse of the Word of God is a kind of concentrated vitamin pill designed to cure modernistic rickets. And if you look at the spirituality of people in most churches today, you find spiritually malnourished people that have rickets. And so what we need to do is to return to the preaching of the Word of God. And that has to be the centerpiece of our worship because it is by this living Word that we're saved. And then when we're saved, it's by God's living word that we grow. Now, Peter's a great resource on this subject, and he said that we do grow by the word of God. And so what we must do, let's stay in the word. Let's sow the right seed. Let's put it out there. Let's let people know about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because how is God's kingdom going to grow? It only grows when you plant seeds. Well, we move into the second component of the parable. We have the seed that's planted, and then we have the sower that plants. So who's the sower? Well, in his illustration, it's the farmer that 
owns a field and he intends to plant a crop that will feed his family. And again, that's very common. At the proper time of the year, all the farmers go out to the fields to plant and they sow the seeds for the crops. And then when time is right, the plants are grown and then there would be a harvest. Now, I don't want to mix you up on the parables, but... Uh, the Bible does teach that there's going to be a harvest, and that comes in the next parable that we're going to talk about. There's a time for reaping of the grain, and that corresponds to the second coming when Jesus comes to this earth again. And in the second coming, that's the end of this interim period. And we're not told it specifically in this parable, but the field where this seed is sown represents the world. The gospel is sown in the world, and the seed is being sown all over the world, And then when Christ is ready to return, he puts in the sickle and he reaps the grain. And all the good plants will be gathered into the barn and all of the others will be taken to be burned. But for now, we're concentrating on this sower. There has to be somebody to sow the seed or there's never going to be a harvest. If the seed's not sown, there is no fruit Now, it ought to be obvious to us that Jesus is primarily speaking of himself. He's the sower. He's the one that's teaching. He's the one that gives the explanation of the kingdom. It's from Jesus Christ that all truth flows. And so he's the the one who is the beginning of the gospel. And so he's teaching this. And he looks over into that nearby field and he sees the farmer who's sowing. And he would say it like this, I am the sower. I'm the one who's planting the life-giving seeds. He's the source of it, the original sower. But remember, he's talking about the interim period in the kingdom. In just a short time, Jesus would be crucified. And then after the resurrection, he would ascend back to his father. But the field is still there. The field is still open And the kingdom has to grow before he returns. So how will it grow? Well, the answer to that is that others must plant the seeds. In the immediate context, he's speaking of the disciples. He's teaching them. But they're gone now. But the church is still here and the field is still here. So how is the church going to grow in the immediate stage? Who are the sowers in God's field? Well, I'll be the first one to raise my hand. This is my responsibility. God has called me as a preacher of the gospel to sow seeds, but I'm not the only one that it represents. And pastors of churches and and missionaries, they're not the only sowers. I, I, I spend hours and hours each week trying to prepare sermons for you, and what I'm doing is tending this little patch in the field. I, I'm dealing with this little patch that we have right here. And the world is not going to be reached by a few pastors and a few missionaries tending their little patches. You see, what has to happen is that you take ownership and begin to understand that you have your own little patch of the field and that you're also responsible to be a sower of the seeds of the gospel. And whether you accept it or not and whether you believe it or not, you are one of God's farmhands in this vast field of the world. And it's your responsibility as much as it is mine to sow seeds for God's kingdom. And the great thing about this is that as the farmer sows the seeds, he's not responsible to make those seeds grow. I mean, he has to plant or there's not going to be a harvest, but he can't make seeds grow. See, the one that 
sends the sunshine and the rain that makes plants grow is God himself. We depend on the goodness of God to make things grow. And it's the same thing with the sower of seeds of the gospel. You can't make seeds grow. And you're going to drive yourself crazy if you get disappointed and upset because every seed that you sow does not produce a healthy plant. It's up to God to provide the results for the preaching of the gospel. Now, this is what God does. Let me give you a scripture on this in the book of Isaiah. And pardon me for breaking into a thought here of Isaiah's, but I want you to see this main point here. Isaiah 55 verse 10 says, For as the rain cometh down, and the snow from heaven, and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth, and maketh it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower, and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereunto I sent it. So it's God who's the one who takes the responsibility for results. And you may look at your efforts and you may look at the results that you get when you try to tell people of the gospel of Christ and you say, how dismally small. There needs to be so much more fruit. There needs to be more growth. But that's not your call. Your call is to sow seeds. And the great promise is that when you do, God will bless the effort as he sees fit. He says that the word will accomplish exactly what he sends it to do. Now, I have to tell you this right up front, and you can't get around it, that the scriptures are very clear about this, that God is not going to save everybody. It's just he's not going to save everybody. It was never his intent to save everybody. But you can be sure of this, that every seed sown, that God has his way with it, And if it doesn't grow to a healthy plant when you sow it, don't be upset about that. God is the one who blesses his work. And we read it just here that God always accomplishes what he wants to do with his word. Now keep that thought in mind as we move into this third component of the parable, and that's the soil. This is the soil that's prepared. And I might more accurately state it this way, that some soil is prepared and some is unprepared. Some of it's ready and seeds will grow in it and some will thrive when the seeds are sown. But then there are others that don't fare so well. The soil is not good. So let's talk about soil. What is that? Well, you have seeds and you have the sower and you have to have soil. And someone has suggested that a better title for this parable is the parable of the soils rather than the sower because the soil turns out to be the most important component of what makes this whole thing work. You have to have seed, you have to have a sower, but you also have to have soil in which that seed will grow. And so the condition of the soil is hugely important. And what the soil represents is different kinds of people. And specifically, the soil represents the human heart and the different conditions of the human heart. Now, next week in the message, we're going to talk more about the specifics of the soil. But for now, understand the soil is the human heart. And when the gospel is sown, it falls into different types of soil. Now, let's return to the results for just a minute, and uh, let's that, keep this fresh in our minds that there are four types of soil in the parable. There's wayside soil, there's shallow soil, there's weed-infested soil, and there's good soil. 
and only one of those soils produce a good plant. Only one out of four produce a good plant. Now, you don't have to be a mathematician to see that that is a 25% success rate. Well, does that mean that that's a guaranteed thing? That when you go and give seed or sow the seeds and you give the gospel to people that one out of four will believe? And only one out of four will believe? No, we don't interpret parables like this. But it does give give us a sense of, of... having to scrutinize the seeds that are that are sown and God's going to use them in a specific way. And so it's very valuable thing here for us to look at how the results come or what, what about these results. So we're, we're going to do this. We're going to look at three valuable lessons about results. What about the results? Well, the first thing about them is don't be discouraged. If there isn't 100% success rate when you tell people about Christ, if people are turned off a huge percentage of the time and the seeds that you sow don't always produce the kind of fruit that you want it to, just keep this in mind. Not to be discouraged about it because you can't make the soil good. You can't change the soil. Only God is able to make the human heart receptive to the gospel. And again, your only job is to sow seeds. So don't get discouraged by the results. When you've done the job properly, leave it up to God. Sow seeds, sow seeds, sow more seeds. And the more that you sow, the more likely that one of those seeds will fall into good ground. And when I was working on this message, I received a text from my daughter in San Diego. And our little five-year-old granddaughter had decided to take upon herself that she was going to pass out tracts for the church. And so she went out, and my daughter overheard her speaking to one of her friends, and she said to her, I will see you in my church on Wednesday night. And I texted back to her, well, that's an excellent start, if only the results were so easy. Now, I hope her friends did come to church, but if they don't, don't be discouraged, because we're not responsible for prospering the word. We just keep passing out the tracks and you keep inviting people at work and you keep talking to your friends because the more seeds that you sow the more likely one is to fall into the good ground so don't worry about the results don't be discouraged by them secondly use proper discernment about the results now sometimes you have what appears to be good success and there are many churches with their soul winners that like to, re- like to boast about the results. They sowed the seeds and it looked like they got results. But if you look at examples two and three in this parable, we see here that it appeared that the seed had found good soil, that it was in the right ground. And in both cases, something started to grow, but then the plants fizzled. You ever seen that happen in church? That all of a sudden, bam, the plant goes up or the person gets busy working for the Lord and everything looks good. The next thing you know, it's all fizzled out. It's fizzled as fast as it started. But you have people that simply want to count heads. And so they're determined that they've always got good results. Now, I'm going to talk about that a little bit more next time. But you have to pay attention to the specifics of the soil you have to realize that when uh, that the fertilizer of three points and a prayer and a quick decision at a door doesn't always mean you have one that should be counted for the kingdom of God you have to wait a while 
See if that plant takes root. Use good discernment because some methods of farming produce defective crops. And then thirdly, don't defile the seed. And here's one of the biggest problems that we face in the modern church. The problem is we have a modern church, but we have an old-fashioned gospel. And people say, well, we're not getting results. And so the thing that we really need to do is to change the seed. The old-fashioned gospel doesn't appeal to people in the modern age. And so we try to spruce it up. You try to lighten up a little bit on sin. You try to ease up on people and don't tell them that they're on their way to hell. We don't want people to feel bad about things. So what we need to do is sugarcoat the seed. Let's take out the the stinging parts and let's stroke the people. Let's soothe them and make them think, you know, there's really not a problem at all. It's not really a problem. You just need to go to church. It's not really a, there's no sin problem here. Just tell people that God loves them and God will take you any old way. doesn't matter what happens. You don't have to change a thing. And so churches take their surveys and they analyze and they figure out a way to fill the church up. And so they go and they say to people, now if you were going to start attending church, then what would you like to hear? What kind of church would you really want? And what would make you interested to come to our church? And so they gather up all this information and they analyze it and they run it through the church software and the computer spits out the info and you end up with a church for the people that don't like to go to church. You've tailor-made it just for them. And that's why you have churches today that are in the entertainment mode. And that's why you have churches with the rock bands and why you have a church uh, that's, that has uh, a watered-down Bible version that they use and why you have churches where the gospel is depleted of any saving power. But you know what you do have? You have people. You get seats that are filled up with people and they're jumping up and down and they're having... And don't fall down dead in your pew when I say this right now, but you have people in church that are having one hell of a time. And I, and I say don't fall down dead because you've got a church filled with people that are headed straight to hell and having a good time while they go. That's the problem here. The devil has brought hell into the church. And he's defiled the gospel. And he have lustful preachers and People don't really care if they have weeds that fill up the church because they want to fill up seats. And you can fill them up. You can get results of some kind. As I said a moment ago, you can have weeds in the church. But did you know something about this? Did you know that the gospel has never been popular? This is the common thing to say. Well, we need a new gospel. We need to fix it up. But the gospel has never been popular. Jesus never preached things that were appealing to people. The gospel was old-fashioned before it was old-fashioned. It's not something that was ever in style. When Jesus first started preaching it, people hated it right at the very beginning. And you see it in this passage. You see it in Matthew. The mass of the people rejected the gospel. And what did Jesus do? He switched the parables and he cut them off so they would never understand. He never turned the gospel into something else in order to get more followers. We see it here. He purposely hid it from them when they rejected. We read it in verses 10 through 15. And what was the result of all of that? He was crucified. Every one of the apostles died martyrs' deaths except the apostle John. 
And most likely he was boiled in oil and left severely disfigured and exiled to a barren island. And do you know what churches are doing when they change the gospel of Jesus Christ? When they change what the apostles preached? They spit in the face of Jesus and the apostles. They take the thing that these men died for, the pure gospel of Jesus Christ, and they spit on it and change it because they want the results. So we have the seed, we have the sower, and we have the soil. God has a perfect way to grow his kingdom, and he'll do it his way. And if you try to tamper with any of that, then you don't want to be ready for the consequences of it. You don't want to deal with the consequences of messing with God's pure gospel of grace. So what do we do? Well, we keep sowing the precious seed. We don't worry about the results. We don't worry about what kind of soil that the seed falls into. If we sow the right seed and we're faithful to be sowers of the word of God, then God will make sure that his word does not return void. He will accomplish the purpose to which he sent it. And the question is, do we trust him for that? Do we believe that he's actually going to do this? Or are we just going to sit back and say, we don't need to sow seeds. This really, it's not all that important. When you really get a vision of where people are going when they die, that they're going to die and go to hell, then you'll understand why it's so important that you plant the seeds. You know, I was thinking about this last night. I was just thinking about people say, well, you know, the preaching that we have today, the preaching in Brian Baptist churches seems to be negative all the time. There's all of these negative things, talking about hell and talking about sin and talking about consequences and all of those things that seem so negative. But then you read the gospel accounts and where do you see Jesus spending his time? He's dealing with consequences. He's dealing with sin. He's talking about hell. And right here in the parables, as we go on further, we'll see that he has a lot to say about what happens to people who don't receive the seed of the word of God. And so we have to get a vision of that, of what happens when people do not believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so this is what we're doing in these next few weeks. And then uh, at the beginning of, well, a little bit later in the month of June and in July, we're going to do a lot of talking about witnessing to people, evangelizing people with the gospel of Christ and how that this church needs to get busy, busier than we've ever been before in doing that. Because friends and relatives and people at work all around us, they're dying and they're going to hell. And they must hear the gospel in order to be saved. And so this is what we do. We sow seeds. And I promise you this, if you sow seeds, you can stand back and watch God's kingdom grow. Behold, the sower went forth to sow. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and what an important text that we have before us today how critically important it is for us to preach the gospel of Christ to tell people to sow seeds so they can hear this blessed message and believe it and then be saved Lord I pray that you would convict our hearts over this and I pray that you would just make us people who have a great desire to see people come to know you as savior Lord, we pray that you'd speak to Christians today 
and give us that desire, but we also pray for anyone here who might be lost. And we've spoken about the consequences of that, that hell is waiting for those who will not and do not believe. So, Lord, we just pray that you would convict some heart today and they would turn to you in faith, believing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand, please.